0: We are in Fall Festival. If you haven't signed up for a small group, do that. Uh, Pastor Andy and the team, uh, we've prepared a a booklet that will follow the sermon series Ephesians chapters 4 through 6. So this booklet will really help you in your individual study, your group study. Pick up a copy in the lobby and uh, please, if you can, make a donation of $4 just to uh, cover the costs of the booklet. Booklet. This morning we're in Hebrews chapter ten, Hebrews ten verses nineteen to twenty-five, and so if you grab a Bible in the seat in, from the seat in front of you, it's page one thousand and seven. Page one thousand and seven. I'm going to start with a question: Whose presence has stirred you this week? Whose presence stirred you? Whose presence should stir us? This summer, some friends invited us to uh, join them on an island, and what they said to my wife and I before we got to the island is that there's a restaurant on the island, but it's not about going to the restaurant, it's about the ride to the restaurant. So late afternoon, we arrive on the shore of this island, we go to the bus stop, and we wait for the bus to come. This yellow old yellow bus drives up, and uh, the driver seems to be excited about something. He gets off the bus. He welcomes us on. As we get on, he gives each passenger an instrument. So we're already chuckling. Tommy, the bus driver, gets on the bus behind the wheel, cranks up the music, and all of a sudden, everybody is playing their instruments, just enjoying the moment. Tommy has drumsticks, and as he drives to the restaurant, he is drumming the steering wheel. He drum, drums the cymbals above the, the windshield. People are singing along. Every now and then he stops. At one point he stops and he says, "Hey, the owners of this farm, they rescue horses." Amazing. Drives a little farther, stops. The cook of this restaurant, one of the best in Canada. Everything that he says along the way is encouraging. Finally, we arrive at the restaurant. We're all smiling. Restaurant's not so good. Judy and I can't remember what we ate. (laughs) But we remember the ride. As we were at the uh, restaurant having dinner, Tommy comes along, and uh, he shows me a book that he's written. Tommy, inspirational and motivational author. And then he pulls out his cart, which I have here. Tommy, bus driver on a mission. He asks me what I do. I said, well, I'm pastor at Willingdon. Oh, I think I'm going to show up there and sing sometime. So I hope Pastor Ron is ready to just welcome Tommy to the stage when he does show up. On the way back, so we're in the restaurant, on the way back to the shore, Tommy puts on a song and he says, hey, pastor, this one's for you. And the way we go, singing. We were with Tommy for about 30 minutes. 15 minutes from the shore to the restaurant, and another 15 minutes from the restaurant back to the shore. And while we were on the bus, Tommy was on a mission. There was a message that he wanted us to hear. One of the things that he said to us while we were having dinner was, this last year, people from 55 different countries have been on my bus. Tommy was on a mission. He knew how he wanted to impact people, the passengers that were riding with him. Who stirred you up this week? Who impacted you? Who encouraged you? Who had a perhaps negative impact on you? Whose presence should stir us more than any other? The main idea of this message is, as followers of Jesus, because we can boldly enter God's presence, we should allow him to impact us more than any other, we should hold tenaciously to the confession of our hope, and we should stir one another up to love and good deeds. So that idea is based on a passage, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Let's read. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. In verse 19, we read, therefore, brothers could also read, therefore, brothers and sisters. What's the therefore, therefore? It's there because the author of Hebrews has been arguing something for about six chapters, chapters five through ten. He's been talking about what Christ has accomplished. He's been talking about his central argument that Christ has been appointed to do a work as high priest. What does that mean? According to the will of the Father, Jesus came, gave his life, made the perfect sacrifice for us once for all, took our sin upon himself, paid the price of our redemption, and he has been exalted. He sits at the right hand of the Father, enthroned over all things, and now serves as our mediator, our intercessor, our great high priest. And the Father and the Son sent the Holy Spirit to live within us that we might be sanctified, wrote the law of God on our hearts, according to the author of Hebrews. Verses 19 to 21, those verses that we just read, they summarize the whole argument of these chapters 5 through 10, make two affirmations, and then based on those two affirmations, three things are said. The author of Hebrews will challenge his readers to do three things, and the challenge remains for us as well. So verse 19, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, why confidence to enter the holy places? What is he referring to when he says confidence? He's talking about freedom. He's talking about permission, authorization to enter somewhere. We have confidence won by the blood of Christ. It's our inheritance. It's a gift for us. We don't need to earn this. He says, enter the holy places. Confidence to enter the holy places. Why the holy places? What does he refer to? Well, he's using the image of the temple in Jerusalem as a picture of a heavenly reality. And so let's remember, as one would approach the Temple Mount, the first court that people would enter was the court of the Gentiles, and Jews and Gentiles were permitted to enter the court of the Gentiles. Then separating that court from the temple proper was a lattice fence. Only the Jews could pass through that lattice fence. As you entered the temple proper, you would enter the court of the Jewish women passing through the court of Jewish women, you would enter the court of Israel, the court of the Jewish men, those 12 years of age and older. Then after the court of Israel, you would enter the holy place, and only the Levitical priests were permitted to enter the holy place. And then between the holy place and the holy of holies, that place where only God dwelt, the glory of God dwelling, that inaccessible place between the holy of holies and the holy place hung a massive curtain as high as the ceiling of the sanctuary. What is the author of Hebrews saying here? What he's saying is that because of Christ's sacrificial death for us, his blood shed for us, the curtain of the heavenly tabernacle has been torn open. It lies open for us and we have confidence, we have authorization, we have permission from God to enter. Enter right into God's presence. We have right of entry, direct access to the Father. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. Where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And so Jesus has entered the presence of the Father on our behalf. And we are invited to follow. What a gift. The author of Hebrews says it's a new and living way. A new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, verse 20. That is, through his flesh. Why? Through his flesh. The phrase, through his flesh says in another way what has already been said in verse 19 by the means of the blood of Jesus. Christ has secured access for us into the presence of the Father. The word flesh should be tied to curtain. And so just as Jesus' body was torn, his flesh was torn on the cross, so that curtain in the heavenly tabernacle has been torn and we are permitted access into the presence of the Father. F.F. Bruce writes... In the death of Jesus, we are to understand God himself is unveiled to us and the way of access to him is thrown wide open. Why is this a new and living way? New because Jesus inaugurated it. Prior to Christ, it did not exist. It's new, it's fresh. The idea in the word here is that it just cannot grow old. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 24. For Christ has entered, not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. It's a living way because God is alive, because the word of God is living and active, because Jesus is the ever-living high priest who mediates for us. And God has sent his living spirit, his eternal spirit to live within us. And so this is a truly life-giving relationship. It's a living way, a new and living way. This is the author of Hebrews version of what Jesus says in John chapter 14 verse 6 I am the way and the truth and the life no one comes to the Father except through me as followers of Jesus we have full confidence to enter God's presence full confidence full permission full authorization we have access to the living God we can actually know him commune with him life itself God And then we read in verse 21. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, who is the great priest over the house of God? Great great priest is another way of saying high priest. And so we boldly approach the throne of God's grace because we have a great high priest, Jesus. Hebrews 7 verse 25. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. Who is them? In verse 21, he says, the house of God. The house of God is God's people, we, the church. Hebrews 3, verse 6, Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house. If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. So what the author of Hebrews is saying to the church of his time and what he would say to us today is that we can be assured that Jesus, our high priest, is ruling over all things, is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he intercedes for us. He is our mediator. He is our great high priest enthroned in heaven. And so if that is true, then why would we not draw near to God himself? As followers of Jesus, we have a great mediator and intercessor in God's presence. And then based on these two affirmations that we have full confidence to enter God's presence and that we have Jesus as our intercessor and mediator, the author will challenge us to do three things. And before I talk about those three things, I'd love to just introduce a story. A friend of mine, Chris, lives in Ontario Chris and his wife have been very involved in church ministry. Twelve years ago, they were immersed in ministry to young people. Chris's sister-in-law, Jennifer, called them from the train station twelve years ago and said, Hey, I'm coming to live with you. Could you pick me up? And so even though the season was very busy, their hearts were open to Chris's sister-in-law, Jennifer. Jennifer. She came to live with them for six weeks. After six weeks, she stormed out. She said, I'm leaving. I'm not going to talk to you anymore. Your house is too crazy. Too many people coming and leaving. I cannot handle the negativity. And she was gone. Twelve years without a word. It hurt. This was... Chris's wife's sister, her best friend. They prayed, they fasted over a two year period. Chris's wife fasted one day a month for the salvation of her sister, and nothing. What should they do? What would God do? Maybe you're in a similar situation this morning. You have been praying for someone desperately for a long season. Who intercedes for us when we cry out to God for those that we love? Whom do we draw near to? What do we hold fast to? How do we encourage one another? Well, in Hebrews chapter 4, we read a passage which is parallel to Hebrews 10, the the verses that we read in Hebrews 10, 19 to 25. Hebrews 4, 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. Yet without sin, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And so as we cry out to the Father, cry out for those that we love. We do have an intercessor. We do have a mediator who identifies with us in our weakness, who understands us, Jesus. And so the author of Hebrews says in verse 22 of chapter 10, Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. What does that mean, this drawing near? Well, let us draw near in every moment, in every situation. Worshiping, praying, reading the word of God. No matter where we are, whether we be on the street or at school or studying or at home, we can call out to God, draw near to God. We draw near because life is found in the presence of God. God is life. Life is found in knowing him, communing with him. That's why our church mission statement says to know Jesus Christ personally. Sometimes we think much more of the benefits of salvation, things like forgiveness of sins, justification, adoption into the family of God. But the true gift is Jesus himself. He is to be our focus. We are here to know him. No presence should stir us more than the presence of Jesus in our lives. Counsel is found in his presence. Strength is found. Faith to continue is found. Based on who Christ is and what he has accomplished for us, we should be compelled to draw near to God and be stirred more by him than anyone else. Did God stir us more than anyone else this week? Who stirred us? We are to approach God with true hearts, sincere, genuine, trusting, Devoted hearts, Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 6, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. We are to draw near in full assurance of faith, with conviction, with certainty, because our faith is rooted in Jesus, in truth. We have a secure faith anchored behind the curtain, in the presence of God himself. You know, our worship life, our prayer life, our hunger for the word of God, it reveals what we truly think about this access to the Father, that, this way to the Father that Jesus has opened for us. Do we truly value this reality, this truth that we can enter God's presence? I cannot stand here and say, oh, I love Jesus, I just don't like prayer a whole lot. Oh, I I love God, I just don't spend a whole lot of time in his presence. I love to hear God's voice, but I, I just don't have time to read his word. How we worship, how we pray, how we devour the word of God, it reveals what we truly think about what Jesus has accomplished for us. I remember being in Africa some years ago and in a very impoverished region and worshiping with God's people there, I was just impressed by how they worshiped with all that they were. How, every, how they were hanging on every word that they sung, every word that they prayed, hanging on the word of God like their life depended on it. And then I came back to North America and I was in a church and just for a moment I observed those worshipping around me and I realized that most were just kind of standing there like this. Of course, I cannot judge the heart of anyone, only God can. But if we are in a moment of worship among God's people and we think we're just kind of hanging out, what are we aware of? <laughs> we just sang, Make us aware of your presence, Lord. So when we gather as the people of God, are we aware of God's presence? When we enter into worship, do we worship with our whole beings? Or are we just relaxed, kind of hanging out? How we worship reveals what we believe about who Jesus is and what he's accomplished for us. Look at what the author says here in verse 22. We draw near with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. Where does that imagery come from? Well, the author of Hebrews in chapter nine, he refers to the first covenant and Moses. He sprinkled the people of Israel with blood sealing the covenant and in a similar manner we have been sprinkled by the blood of Christ and Christ's atoning work has purified our inner person and so we read in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 15 and the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after saying this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days declares the Lord I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds he's quoting from Jeremiah 31. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. So we can draw near to God because our conscience has been cleansed from sin by the sacrifice of Christ. We have been made fit for God's presence. We stand in God's presence because of Christ's righteousness, not our own. Sprinkle clean, that's a completed act. It's it's something that's not repeatable. It no longer needs to be done. Christ died for us once for all. What a gift. Those who are in Christ, freed from a guilty, a tormented conscience. So if you don't know Jesus... I would urge you to consider the freedom, the release, the forgiveness, the cleansing that can be yours in Jesus. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, talk to your friend who brought you or sign up for a discovery class, Discovering Jesus. Discover who Jesus is and what he has accomplished for you. It's for freedom that Christ set us free. Now those of us who follow Jesus, we have been set free. We do not live perfect lives. The Holy Spirit is at work in us, transforming us into the image of Christ. We're growing, but we do sin, right? And as we draw near to God, the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin and we have the opportunity to repent, to experience that cleansing and to yield our lives again to Jesus. This past week, I was uh, running my regular route And on my regular route, there are some trees. There's a forest grove that I run through. And as I run through, I often feel like I'm running through Eden. And as I run, often I'll think about things. I'll pray about things. And so as I was running this week, I was thinking about a conflict that I was trying to mediate. Just running along. And as I was running, all of a sudden I realized... That I was trying to mediate this conflict on my own strength. And I had completely bypassed the counsel of a a friend. That I had bypassed that friend's counsel out of arrogance. Thinking that I knew better. And all of a sudden it just hit me. My goodness, how arrogant I am. And the Holy Spirit convicted me and I asked for forgiveness. As soon as I finished running, I went to talk to my friend. I said, I'm so Sorry. I entered the, the conflict without even giving any heed to your counsel. And my friend said, well, who talked to you? <laughs> we all, if we are in Christ, can avail of the presence of God. No matter what our situation, no matter what our moment, we can enter God's presence. And God can remove the blindness and transform us into his image. Do we spend time in worship, repentance, and submission, actively yielding ourselves daily? God, here's my heart. Here I am in my brokenness. Here's my mind, my thoughts, my emotions. Here's my body, I yield it to you. Here's my past, my present, my future. Here I am, God. We can draw near. With hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and with our bodies washed with pure water. Again, bodies washed, that's a completed action. It's already done. We are in this enduring state of having been washed. Many consider this to be a reference to water baptism. And so water baptism, the outward sign of what has happened within us, the outward sign of the new covenant, a sign of our inward spiritual transformation. That may be true, but others believe that this washing with pure water actually is something parallel to being sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and that's based on what is said in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 25, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. I find that one of the idols that God most often has to cleanse me of is the idol of myself. Verse 26, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. We have been washed by the power of the Holy Spirit. The same power that was present to raise Jesus from the dead has been implanted within us by the eternal spirit. Hebrews 9 verse 14, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So we can draw near to God, what a privilege. And then the author of Hebrews says in verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. The second call is to an unwavering, unswerving embrace of something. Confession is not a church confession. It's something much more foundational. It's the profession of our hope in the life, the death, the resurrection, and the exaltation of Jesus Christ himself. We profess our hope in Christ to each other and to the world Around us, and we hold to it without wavering, unswervingly, bending neither to one side nor the other. How can we hold to such strong convictions? Well, again, in verse 23, the author says, For he who promised is faithful. We can hold to this confession of our hope in Jesus because God does not change. Hebrews 3, 13 verse 8, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews 6, it is impossible for God to lie. And so because of God's character, because he can be trusted, we hold to our confession of hope. Returning to the story of Chris and his uh, sister-in-law, Jennifer. Remember that she walked out, gone for 12 years, no word from her. Then last year, around Easter, Easter 2015, Chris and his wife, they receive a letter from Jennifer. And Jennifer is requesting to come back to their home. She now has terminal cancer, stage four cancer. Doctors have said that she has one year to live. And she remembers that in the home of Chris and his wife, she experienced love, the presence of Jesus. She wants to come back. And so Chris and his wife, they invite her back. Good Friday morning, Chris's wife shares with Jennifer the reason for her hope. The reason why she holds so fast to the confession of her hope in Jesus. And Jennifer, for the first time, submits herself, yields her life to Jesus. For the first time, confesses hope in him. Jennifer prays that God will give her time to be with her nieces. And God grants that request. Chris and his wife, they play, pray for Jennifer. Jennifer, she, of course, experiences spiritual healing as she yields to Jesus and receives the Holy Spirit to live within her. Spiritual healing, emotional healing, relational healing happens between Jennifer and family members, other friends. But f- physical healing she does not receive. It appears that she has only a few weeks to live, but Chris and his wife, they say, We hold fast to the confession of our hope because we know that we will pass eternity with Jennifer. And they rejoice in that hope. Based on who Christ is and what he has accomplished, we are compelled to hold tenaciously to our confession of hope because God's word has stirred us. And so we have hope for ourselves. We have hope for those whom we love. And then the author of Hebrews writes, verse 24, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. The third call is for serious consideration of something very interesting. To consider means to direct our minds towards something or someone and to reflect on that thing or that person. It talks about serious energy given to thinking about others. To stir up is to provoke in a good way. Some translations read to spur one another on. To motivate one another. To love. To love for God and love for each other. And to good deeds. To carry on the ministry of Jesus. And so our mission statement at the church is to know Jesus Christ personally and to carry on his ministry. If we have drawn near to God, if we know Jesus Christ, then we are impelled by the Holy Spirit to carry on his ministry. To love those around us, to do good deeds. The church being addressed by the author was facing testing, disappointment, and in that context, it was ever more important for those who participated in the life of the church to encourage one another. Based on who Christ is and what he has accomplished, we are compelled to stir one another up to love and good deeds. Then, verse 25, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. Encouragement just means to strengthen the faith of another. That requires being together. It requires being in relationship. Mutual care, mutual encouragement, it only happens if we actually connect, if we relate to one another. Whether it be at a weekend service or in a small group, we are not to neglect, not to abandon, forsake the community of faith. Why are people in the book of Hebrews abandoning these meetings together? Well, they're discouraged. Some of them are apathetic. Some are indifferent. Persecution is happening. Some are short-sighted. Some are arrogant. Some are weary. Why have we come here this morning? I've been here long enough to notice that people tend to sit in the same place and go to the same service. And so it's not unusual for me to be here speaking and to be able to pick you out of the crowd because I already know where you're going to sit. And you probably know some of the people around you. You've seen them before. And so have you come here this morning having prayed for, having reflected on how you might encourage those around you to love and good deeds? I hope you're a part of a small group. If you aren't, sign up. But in your small group, as you go, do you go with the intention of receiving, I hope you do, but also of giving? Do you go with the word of God to encourage your brother and sister, to spur them on to love and good deeds? The author of Hebrews says, Don't neglect meeting together. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. All the more as you see the day drawing near. You see, the gathering of God's people for worship and prayer is a foretaste of the heavenly gathering. When we gather as God's people, something much more important than just the gathering of people is happening. God himself is present Among us do we come with that awareness as we draw near to God in worship and prayer. Heaven descends to earth and those who join us are to experience God's presence. That's what this gathering is about. It's about being with God and his people. Hebrews chapter 6, the author talks about those who have experienced the things of the kingdom. And he says... Among those who have been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come. He's talking about the church, our gathering. It anticipates the final ingathering of God's people. The day is the day of the Lord. It is the day of Christ's return. If we are to be a Christian generation, then we must be a generation that lives in light of the end time. We are at a critical stage in world history it's always a critical moment in history we live a critical moment in Canadian history so much hangs in the balance we live in a critical moment in Willingdon church history now the question is how will we embrace the moment will we draw near to God because Jesus blew open the doors of heaven will we commune with him Will we hold fast to the confession of our hope, hold to it tenaciously because of who Jesus is and what he has done for us? And will we can come together so that we might stir one another up to love and good deeds? How would we embrace this next year if we knew that we only had one year to live? Or what if you were Chris and you knew that a person that you loved only had 12 months 365 days to live. How would that reorient you? How would it change your priorities? How would it change the way that you speak? On the day of Christ's return, he will draw near to us and we will draw near to him for the last time. And we will be with him forever. And so do we live oriented by that day, focused on that day with the end in mind? Who stirred us this week? Did Jesus stir us more than anyone else? What did we say to our brothers and sisters? Did we stir our brothers and sisters up to love and good deeds? You know, if Tommy the bus driver (laughs) lives on mission, believes he has a message to proclaim, how much more we should live on mission? Christ blew open the doors of heaven for us. We can commune with God, we can know God, we can abide in His presence. What a gift! We can receive counsel for each moment, for each day, for each relationship. What a gift. Nothing should influence us more than God's word. No other message. And if anything is to pass through our lips, may it be a word that encourages our brother and sister, a word that stirs up our brother and sister to love and good deeds. Amen? Let's pray. Let's stand for prayer. So, Father, again, we just thank you for your goodness to us, for your love, your steadfast love. You are ever faithful. Thank you, Father, for sending Jesus out of love. Thank you, Jesus, for coming for living among us, for identifying with us, for going to the cross for us, for paying the price for our sin. Thank you for paying the price for our redemption so that we might be free. Thank you for opening the way, this new and living way into the Father's presence. Oh God, I pray for myself. I pray for my brothers and sisters. May we avail ourselves of what you have gifted us with. Oh Lord, may we want to know nothing more than to know you. May it be your presence that stirs us, that impacts us, that transforms us. Oh God, do your work in our lives, we pray. Father, we are sinners and so often we stray. Oh God, we depend on your shepherding hand to draw us back. Work in our lives by your Holy Spirit. May we hunger for your word Lord, if we lack a hunger for your word, oh God, stir within us. By your Holy Spirit, grant us that hunger for your word, for your truth. And may we bless our brothers and sisters with your words of encouragement. May we stir one another up to love and good deeds. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great festival.